Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kicks this guy on a high up and under. They need to talk here. And it was classed as a strike. Yeah. That's the old do the whole competition a favour Melbourne and contest this and, and yeah. get the kid off because uh, I don't think that he should go for that. If he gets suspended for that, I think it would be one of the worst decisions in tribunal history. It would be an absolute shocker if this kid is rubbed out because of that incident. Absolute shocker, says Johnny Brown, a bloke who did like charging into packs from the front. Uh, of course, usually at his risk, not the other player's risk. A bloke that I always listen to when it comes to tribunals and umpiring is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian. He's a former Waffle umpire. He was the West Australian specialist on matters of the tribunal. Cod, welcome to the show. And uh, let's talk Jacob Van Royen. It's confusing to look at, isn't it? Like, it's one of those ones where you go, well, he's, sort of, he's trying to spoil the ball, then you say, but he wasn't looking at the ball at the time, he was guessing a little bit, and he's caused damage. So there's so many elements of it, but it doesn't look like a stereotypical, oh, yeah, that's two weeks. And that's what's on the line for him at the moment. So we've got, once again, the cookie-cutter element of the tribunal where you have to be a... Is it careless? Is it high impact? Is it high? All that sort of stuff comes together and adds up in two weeks. But it doesn't feel like two weeks. I think that's a, that's one of the real challenges we've got here as we continue this campaign to rightfully protect the head. Yeah, I, I don't know, Cod. I reckon this is pretty clear cut. I, I know I'm. it sounds like with all the narrative around this and the commentary around this, I'm in the minority. But I think did not look at the ball, made high contact, caused damage, two weeks. I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. And I have to say, I think it would be a travesty if he gets off. I mean, the argument that he didn't mean to cause harm, I think a lot of these dangerous tackles aren't meaning to cause harm. But when there's damage to the head, we're pinging him. So why not just ping him? You know, like, surely the bloke who's in Ballard's position is entitled to feel that the bloke coming back into him is at least looking at the ball, isn't he? That's a really good point. That because the fact that his eyes weren't on the ball and he gets, that makes it definitely careless. And once you are careless, then you're responsible for the outcome afterwards. But I think it's more because the, the, the striking action of it doesn't look stereotypical to a weak scenario um, is what makes it really hard. But you're right, he has caused the damage. And that's where once you cause damage, someone's going to end up with concussion and who knows what that happens further down the track. It's, it's, um, I think once we see what they say with this case, we'll have a lot more of an idea about what will stand for everybody for the future and it'll simply be, if it's two weeks, then if you cause the damage, then you are liable no matter what. So at least that'll make it clear for everybody. And players will start saying, you know what, I have to, I can't guess, because we see a lot of guys doing these situations when they're running back with the flight. I've got to make sure I turn my body, uh, I've got to do something different with the way I approach that contest. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's spot on. And, and I think that um, um, probably turn the body and, and go sort of, 
full on trying to work out where the ball is and hit it. Um, and I guess my argument and why I'm so strong in this is that the fact that he wasn't looking in the ball meant that he was looking at uh, Charlie Ballard, which meant where he, he knew where he was making contact. And um, um, no, it wasn't a strike, and it, it might be more neck than head, but but pulling him down by the neck isn't safe either. So I, I think that um, it's it's careless and it is dangerous. I'm not suggesting that uh, Jacob Van Royen's a, a thug by any measure, but but neither is Matt Johnson and he's sitting in the grandstand and we all agreed with that because it was a dangerous tackle. And um, I think this is pretty cut and dried. And if they want to protect players from high hits, I think this is what they have to do. Hey, um, Willie Rioli in the Port Adelaide Essendon game, this one does look like a suspension, doesn't it? Yeah, he's got two weeks written all over him. Um, you, the, the, once you raise your arm in any situation, you are taking a risk. And especially when you can't see what's coming the other direction. So he's jumped in the air, he's raised his arm, and he's made contact. So he was trying to probably present a little bit of a block for his teammates so that he could lead forward and, and take a mark. But jumping in the air and raising your arm, that, that, you, you're going to hit something, and it's more likely going to be high. So, yeah, I can't see Junior getting anything other than two weeks, um, which is disappointing for him and disappointing for Jordan Ridley as well because he's been such an important part of Essendon's backline. And now going to miss a couple of weeks with that concussion. That changed the game too, didn't it? Um, once Ridley was off, they had to shift Langford from forward to back to give themselves the extra height in defence. And really, Essendon went from the team that looked almost more likely to win to the team that was less likely to win from that point on. Yeah, I was texting with an Essendon sporting mate of mine. I was like, this has Anzac Day written all over it. Again, when Jaden Laverde went down on Anzac Day, Essendon ran out of tall options and couldn't figure out how to stop Collingwood anyway. And as soon as that happened, yes, I said, we had to, Essendon had to swing players around and just change the game totally. And the big boys from Adelaide became too good. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's certainly hurt Essendon. But I think the inside 50 count for the entire game shows that uh, Port Adelaide were clearly the better team. It was a dominant performance from them. The Bombers did well to hang in, I thought. They did, and they're going all right, the Bombers. I think I'm, I'm not sure that they're a, a premiership threat this year, but they certainly are a final threat, and uh, um, certainly Brad Scott has made a difference. Hey, the four-umpire system, are they betting it down well? Are there teething problems? It appears like rather than giving umpires a better view, that it's basically giving the game more points of view from an umpiring perspective and we're seeing some inconsistency. What, what, what are your thoughts on it? I just think we've chucked a hell of a lot of umpires out there who are new to, the, to AFL football and who are learning a new system at the same time. So they're new to the game and they're, and they're imagine they're a player who's playing half-back when they're normally playing half-forward. And, and they're playing their fifth game of footy. They're going to get things wrong. They're going to make mistakes. And they signed 10 new umpires at the start of the year to, to put the four umpires just in place. Not all of them have been put out there yet. But you're going to get one of them in most games throughout the, uh, throughout the course of the round. And it's going to give the umpires some vulnerability. Umpires aren't allowed to go into a rebuilding mode like West Coast are at the moment. We don't accept that from an umpiring perspective. But the reality is the umpiring department is in rebuilding mode because they're chucking these new guys in and they're trying new things. So what you'll find is most, most of the time the errors are being made as a result of one of those new guys being out there and making that incorrect decision or them being in a position which they're not accustomed to officiating from. And then you see it from a totally different view. So I think it's going to take time for these new guys to bed themselves down and feel like they're comfortable at this level. 
was going to ask you about the positioning, and does that lead you to to make a different call on something? If you're normally or you would have been trained to umpire from a certain vantage point, and then suddenly you're in a, a in a completely different vantage point, does that affect your ability to make a good decision? Because mentally you feel like you're in the wrong spot. When you went from the two umpire system to the three umpire system, it was you had to concentrate so much harder to make sure you weren't running to where you would have run previously. And then when they changed the three umpire system and wanted to outside play a lot more, you had to really concentrate hard on that. So you were thinking more about where do I run now, and then that could just take away from your ability to have a really clear presence of mind when you wanted to make that call. So when you've done something the same way all the time, it's really, really easy and you feel comfortable and you go, I know I'm in the right position here to make the call. You can second-guess yourself a little bit when the positioning changes so much. And as I said, especially when, it's, when you're out there with people you don't know, when you're out there with people who haven't got as much experience, big games, all that sort of stuff can change a lot of things. So um, the first half of the year is always going to be a challenge for the umpires and we're seeing that with some of the decisions that have been made at the moment, uh, we, where you're looking at how did they miss that? Well, they're probably running, running to the one spot and then changing their mind halfway through going, whoops, I'm meant to go somewhere else. And then that half second, that half metre, suddenly you don't see something. And we had a Nathan Murphy scenario last week where nobody saw it um, because they're all blocked by other players at the time because they hadn't got to the appropriate position they wanted to get. Now, you would have seen both the, the WA team's games on the weekend. What did you make of them? West Coast looked like they had a crack, um, but it's just not enough, is it? It's, it's, um, they're sort of running out of manpower. They're running out of experience. They're running out of class as the, as the game goes on. Yeah, I mean, they, they were in the game until late in the third quarter. And I think from a West Coast perspective, that's what you've got to look at. How late do they get into the game before they break? And I thought that was really positive for them, especially given they had the emotional um, devastation of Jai Cully early in the match. So they've gone, I thought it was a step forward for them, regardless of what the scoreboard says, it's how long you're in the game for, I think, for West Coast from here. Um, and the, but the problem being that they just can't afford to keep getting through games losing someone for a significant period of time. Uh, and, and Fremantle did what they had to do. They had to beat up on Hawthorne because Hawthorne are no good, and they absolutely did, and they played with a bit more dare. Uh, all the guys who have struggled a little bit throughout the year found some footy, and they, they would have all walked away going, they, we feel good about ourselves again. And that's just so important when you get an opportunity like that, and they seize that opportunity. And Hawthorne you know, made some mistakes early, which allowed Fremantle to feel comfortable and get on the scoreboard with free kicks and 50 metre penalties. And that allowed the Dockers then to just take a breath and go, we can just play. And they put the foot down like a good team should. Always fascinated by the reaction to Jack Darling and um, and the West columnist Peter Sumich didn't miss him in the paper today, basically saying they'd be better off playing without him, even if they play without a sub. What, what's your take on Jack's form at the moment? He's been ordinary. He hasn't been the player that West Coast need him to be. He's been he, he, When Jack was at his best, he always started games really well and would kick a couple of goals in the first quarter and help West Coast to get away. Now he's kicking goals in junk time in the second half when the result is beyond doubt. He's not providing the physical presence that you would expect of someone his size. He's not leading up to the logos and taking marks there so that he can help Oscar Allen in that way. It, it doesn't appear that he's got a clear-cut thing, uh, a clear-cut strength that he's, that he's working on from, from this season at the moment. Oscar Allen's been better than him. Jake Warwick has been better than him. So I think he's been really disappointing. And 
the player that West Coast needed was someone to step up and replace Josh Kennedy and be that next man. He was expected to be that player this year, and he hasn't been. So um, it's been really disappointing with the way he's played, and I think that whilst I wouldn't play without a sub, um, if there was another, if, if West Coast didn't have the injuries they don't have at the moment, I don't think he'd be in the team. Yeah, it's kind of like saying if your auntie had whiskers, she'd be your uncle, though, isn't it? They do have the injuries that they have, and therefore uh, not playing Jack Darling is not an option for them at the moment. I, I agree. He was, he was very quiet on the weekend. He is a fascinating one, though, isn't he? He's the sort of guy, he's the first one the, the fans jump on. It's almost like he's their whipping boy, and um, and the critics can a little bit too. Um, he, he, he's been a pretty consistent player over the course of his career, and yet... Um, He's, uh, they're very quick to, to, to smack him when he's not going too good. Yeah, he's been a bloody good player. Like, he's been a fantastic player for West Coast and one of the best forwards they've ever had in the club's history. There's no doubt about that. And all of the criticism of him when he was scoring 30 to 40 goals a year was ridiculous because there aren't too many folks in the comp who can do that. But this year specifically, and just this year, he's been really disappointing because they've needed him to be the leader of the forward line. They've needed him to be the physical presence and the guy they can go to and who can stand under a high ball and who can just give them an extra outlet. And he hasn't done any of that this year. So, um, outstanding player for West Coast throughout history, but right now he's not the player that they need him to be. And his form is a real worry for them. Now, just so we can complete your resume as a journalist, we've uh, we've done your views on umpiring in the tribunal. We've done your views on footy uh, and how they're performing. And now, as the senior basketball writer for the West Australian, tell us what you make of the the build of the Wildcats list at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, they've gone di- different, which I like the fact they've changed things all around. They've gone a lot more local, which I think will help them to retain players and pay less four players. We don't know what they're doing with imports yet, which makes it really hard to understand the full list build, and they've said that they still want to sign one more high-profile marquee player, uh, which means that's going to be an Australian player who is paid slightly outside of the salary cap, is the definition of, of a marquee player. So they'll go in with two imports, which is rare in the NBL, but is starting to become a little bit of a trend that feels like this season. So they need to get that next import spot absolutely correct. And whoever this marquee player they're hoping to sign, they need to get that one absolutely correct because it'll be... We're normally accustomed to seeing teams go with the three imports and loading up on the Americans. So it'll be Bryce Cotton and County Pinder leading this team, and then whoever the next import is and whoever the next marquee is, and a lot of locals around them. So... Well, the proof will be in the pudding when they make the next few announcements, but at the moment they're going different, and I don't mind the fact that they're trying things because they haven't been able to find the right players the past couple of years. Um, so let's see what this strategy does. And will they address the rebounding problem? Is that something they've solved or yet to solve, do you think? Well, Keanu Pinder will certainly solve it a, a fair way um, because he's, he's one of the best rebounders going around. Hiram Harris will, will solve the, the physicality. When he was signed, he said he wanted to be like a rugby league player. He, like, he said he enjoys rugby league, so he wants to be physical out there and hit some blokes. So that will, make, that will endear into Wildcats fans, especially if you get some of the glass as well. So I think once you add an import as well, um, who is likely to be a rebounding type player also, I think that will fix it a fair bit. And from there, it's just a matter of, of intent and game plan, which will, which will make the difference. Craig, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights, particularly on the tribunal and umpiring. I think you've uh, you've got a rare vantage point there with your knowledge and experience. So thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Have a good day, everyone.
Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian, of course, his thoughts in particular on the four umpire system and how it's being bettered down and the Jacob Van Royen tribunal going to be a very interesting tribunal hearing. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line. It's 0487 736 736 or call us on the open line 13 12 55. We've got a few texts coming through on it already. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We'll be back after the break.